Hello, everyone. Welcome to Awareness and Transformation. Uh, this is a conversation about life, about faith, and about race. My name is Ralph Lowe. I am the Director of Justice Ministries here at Pittsburgh Presbytery, and this is... I'm Brian Wallace. I serve as uh, the Associate Minister to Pittsburgh Presbytery. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. So, Brian, I think we ended our last conversation with the assumption that you and I would try to tackle the uh, racist and racism, the two R's yeah. uh, that are very prevalent yeah. uh, in society right now. Um, but I think I wanted to start out by just simply saying the importance of defining racist and racism. Um, it's easy if we don't have a definition of these terms for us to deny them mm -hmm. or to even say you know, we hear these words and say, well, I'm not a racist. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I, you know, I don't really see racism going on around me because we, I don't know what it means. We haven't a, a tangible uh, definition of what it means to be racist or racism. So there's a deniability that comes along with not defining these two terms. So Brian and I thought it was very important for us to define these terms. So I'll, I'll start right in, Ryan. I put you on the spot, I know, but if I had to ask you to define racism, mm -hmm. what would you say? So I, I think I want to answer that question carefully because I think part of the reason why this conversation about what are these definitions, uh, why that's so important, mm -hmm. is I think people do have profoundly different definitions of what those words mean. They do. Right? So, uh, and, and we can get into this. So what I would say is that uh, my understanding of it ha has, has changed a lot over time, right? And I would say that growing up, racism was a thing that existed in the past uh, that, uh, that was the cause of slavery, right? That racism was the cause of slavery, that it was the cause in some ways of the Civil War, that it was the cause of the rise of Martin, Martin Luther King. Like, like racism was a thing mm -hmm that existed in the past mm. that caused bad things to happen, mm. right? Yeah. And I think for a lot of people who look like me and were educated like me, uh, that's probably like a fair definition for what a lot of them carry as far as what, it, as what racism, as racism means. Today for them. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right? And, and they're still, and if you ask white people like me, does racism, is, does racism still exist? Some will say no. Others will say yes, but there's not a lot of it. They'll point out, you know, like Ku Klux Klan people, yes. right? Like, like yes. those, like they still have racism. And in some ways racism, you can almost like talk about it like a disease. Like, mm -hmm. oh, well, well they have racism, but, yeah, we don't. but we don't. But we don't. That's, that's right. right. That's right. So racism is a disease. Yes. What I've come to understand as I've learned and grown and had experiences is that, um, is that ra is racism mm -hmm. is a much deeper mm -hmm. and more nebulous and complicated thing than any simple definition. That's right. right? Um, because racism describes an attitude, an approach to how we set up societies, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and regardless of how prevalent you think racism is today, its effects are still being felt. And some of those ways that we kind of set things up, we set them up thinking, 
you know, here's how we're going to do it when segregation's legal. And then when we outlawed segregation, we didn't change the system. Right. We just said, well, you can't, like, just, like right. Brown versus Board of Education. Of education yeah. Great. But we didn't talk about school funding. That's right. Right. So, um, so that's what, so that's kind of the, uh, of, of my, my working definition I love it. of racism. I think that's a harder word for me to define mm -hmm. than the word racist. Yes. So, so let, me, let me pause you right here yeah. and simply say, so that we're clear here, while you and I are going to try to hone in on a definition of racist and racism, it is much broader than you and than this simple definition sure, that we're going to do yeah. for our conversation, yeah. which is important to note, very important to note. So Brian, I'm going to give you a dictionary definition of racism. Okay. I want to see if it, if it feels appropriate and if it doesn't, um, I'll let you know that how I feel about it and then you can let me know. Okay. So, and so we're clear, Brian and I agreed that we would have these definitions here. We are authentic here, but we wanted to make sure we were authentic to defining these terms for you. Prejudice, discrimination, anything directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. So this is a, a dictionary definition of racism. I think it's a, it's a good start. Mm -hmm. It's a good start. Um, I think, however, Brian, and I think you alluded to this, that when we hear this, that last sentence checks some white people out. And repeat that last sentence. One's own race yes. is superior. There it is. So I think we, as people of color, hear this definition, and the entire definition resonates mm -hmm. with our life experience. Mm -hmm. I think for some white people, the experience of prejudice, discrimination, although yes, 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 oh wait, one's own race is superior, nope, that's not me. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out, right? So it speaks to yeah. the racism that does not exist today versus in the past. Yep. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. I mean, so that, that is what I would say is, and again, I'm way, you know, I do not speak for all white people, you et cetera, do, et cetera, right. right? Same here. But I think for so many uh, white people, that is the definition, mm -hmm. right? Like, yep, 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 oh, there's my out clause. Mm -hmm. That's right. I don't have racism because right. I don't believe that. That's right. And the truth is that, is that while I do believe that there are people in society who do believe that their race is superior, mm -hmm. Uh, I think a lot of, I think part of why these, why these conversations are so tricky for people who are white is that we have the out clause. Yes. Like, I don't believe that. Yes. And that's why I think that I have a black friend defense works. Mm -hmm. Because in their mind, I wouldn't have a black friend. Right. If I was if, truly, if, if truly I suffered from racism, mm -hmm. I would not have a black friend. That's right. Right. That's, that's the idea. That's right. So when people are like, hey, you're racist. No, I have a black friend. End of discussion. Right. So how can I possibly think that my own race is superior if I have a black friend? Exactly. Right? Yep. So that's great. So understanding that, let's go into racist. Yeah. So I'd like for you to define racist, and then we'll look again at what the dictionary actually says yeah. about racist. Yeah. So I think racist, uh, and again, I, I, I'm going to kind of speak from, speak from where I've come. Yes. 
I think uh, racist is an identity about somebody who harbors racism. That the, that the definition of a racist, right, you are a racist or you're not, stems from do you believe that your own race is superior? Mm -hmm. Right. So, so again, like most white people would say, no, I'm not racist. I don't believe that my race is superior. I have a black friend. I have a black son-in-law. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like no. And, and at that point, by their definition, yes. On some level, they have a point, right? Yes. And sometimes then we want to push and say, but what's the implicit bias and all this Correct. kind of stuff that you and I are much more familiar with. Correct. But at a surface level, oh, I'm out. I'm out, right? Wow. So I'm going to, so I, I, we're going to talk about identity, but I want to give you the definition that I've, I've looked up. One who is supporting, who shows, I'm sorry, one who shows or feels discrimination or prejudice against people of other races. That's the simple definition um, and that believes that a particular race is superior to the other. Yeah. That's the definition in the dictionary, right? Kind of articulates a little bit of what you said earlier. So we talked a lot about racism. I think it's important for us to really lean into the racists, mm -hmm. okay? You mentioned a key word when you were describing your kind of definition of races, which is identity, yeah. right? And I think that's where white people get frozen. Because mm -hmm. I know someone listening to this right now who is not a person of color, hears the word and you're frozen right now, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I think what we need to start to do and understand is, Brian, and I'd love to hear your input on this, is to understand that racist is a descriptive yeah. and not a, I don't like you, right? Not a pejorative, right? It, it, it is a descriptive. Yeah. And if we have the capability of, of getting to that point, where we can allow ourselves to see races as a descriptive, it disarms the term and in essence allows us to move into the notion of prepare yourselves. I am a racist, but I'm striving to be not or an anti-racist as Brian and I will talk about it in a little bit. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? So even now, even from where I've come from to where I am now, which is a few steps further along than it was 20 years ago, it is painful to say the phrase, I am racist. Mm. I have found a hundred other ways to phrase that, right? Uh, that are far easier for me to stomach. Um, like, like, I love all God's people equally, but I freely admit, right? Um, but I think part of it is also to say, like, if you want to phrase, if that phrase, I am racist, makes you freeze up as a white person, mm -hmm. then find a phrase that lets you own it, mm. right? If you can't say that, if, if you can't, because that word carries so much identity, if that word for you is just, nope, I, I can't, Brian, I'm not, a, I swear I'm not a racist, I'm, I'm not, okay, fine. So I might be able to say something like, like, I am learning more and more about my own biases and prejudices that I don't even realize I have. 
right? Yeah. And the pushback, rightfully so, is that's not strong enough. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking in my head. Absolutely, That's right? what I'm thinking like in my that, head. No, like, that, like that's not strong enough. But I think particularly when, 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 when the word racist is such a pejorative, and especially in today's like cancel culture. Yes. Like if you get labeled a racist, you're done. You're done. Yes. You're done. Yes. And if you own it, right? Like, like you and I were talking at lunch, Phil Vischer, his comment was very, very clear mm -hmm. that he has benefited from racial injustice. Yes. Right? Oh, I can say that all day long. Yeah. Right? If you right. come to me and say, Brian, have you benefited from racial injustice? Heck, of course I have. Mm -hmm. Right? So, so the challenge, I think, for a lot of people is getting beyond that identity mm -hmm. of being like, 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 I am a racist and I'm trying to unlearn or I'm trying to learn more. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's a growing edge for a lot of people. And what I sometimes worry is that um, when we're working with two fundamentally different definitions, we fight over a word. Yes. When, when the goal is not necessarily to make the word work, right. but to educate. To right? educate. Because now, I can say, although I hesitate, now I can say, yeah, I am a racist. I'm less of a racist than I used to be. Yeah. I'm a whole lot more aware than right. I used to be. Right. Um, like now I can say that, but it's been because there's been a lot of work. Yeah. And I worry sometimes for white people who need, who need to talk about this, mm -hmm. by the way. The problem is that they get hung up at, at like step one. And just stop though, and, and they're like, and I'm freeze, out. and I'm, I'm out. out, and I'm out. So, I'm out. so what I'm hearing you say, Brian, and I, and I, of course, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is, you know, there is this um, push from the world to not uh, to not even suggest that you're racist. Yeah, don't don't, don't even it, don't. say the R word and because if you one. if you're the R word, that's it for you. Yep. But I think in order for us to move in, in a, an, an unfrozen state into a state of action, I should say, that we almost have to embrace that word begrudgingly, embrace that word to move into action, to say, oh, I, I, am, I am who this person, I am this person as a white person, mm -hmm. racist, but I'm striving every day not to be. Yeah. I, I, that's what I'm hearing you say. And we can make all the excuses and all the, term, the terminology that we want to use to, to not say the word. And, mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, we need to just validate that as a people, not just white people, by the way, I want to make that this clear. Um, racist is the word we need to use as, as a descriptive so that we can move past it. Mm -hmm. But we have to embrace it. Yeah. So let me just say this, Brian, in, 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 you and I have talked about why we need to say racist. Mm -hmm. And the main reason why is because of this term that you and I have used, and maybe many of you have not heard of this, is called anti-racist. Yeah. Now, it's easy for you and I to sit here and say, either you are racist or anti-racist. There's no in-between. Mm -hmm. But for our listeners right now, a lot of them have lived most of their lives in the in-between, in the yeah. non-racist, non yes. okay? Yeah. And Brian, I wonder in, let's, let's take a, a pause here, and I wanna ask you to be open and honest about your experience, and then we'll come back to the term anti-racist, mm -hmm. okay? 
So Brian, could you describe to, to the audience some small experiences of when there was overt or, or not so overt situations where there was racism or there were a, a racist involved? And give me two examples of one where you said something and one where you didn't. Yeah. So I could give a lot where I didn't say anything. Thank you for that. I appreciate could give that. a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it too, and this is why I think that this racist, non-racist, anti-racist is so helpful. Mm -hmm. Because the non-racist is the comfort zone for me. Right? It's really easy to say, nope, like I'm not burning crosses, I'm not carrying tiki torches in Charlottesville, that is not me, I denounce that, I reject that, right? Uh, so it's very easy to fall into that non-racist, I think everyone's of equal value and worth, I have a black friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, the, but there's a lot of, a lot of examples, uh, just looking at my social media feed over the weekend, there were probably a half dozen posts, probably a half dozen that reflected some level of racial bias, racist assumptions. One post was flat out, like flat out racist, mm. like no, no other way to describe this post, right? And I sit there and I go, is it worth it? Like, is it worth it? Mm -hmm. On social media, in public settings, is it worth it, mm -hmm. right? And the honest, truthful answer is, it does not seem worth it. Mm -hmm. Because uh, you just, like, one, it's exhausting, two, will it change anything, right? Like, like what's to be gained? Mm -hmm. So, I think, I think the stories where I have, have kind of uh, reflect back and say, you know, I, I handled that one okay. Uh, the first one is kind of comical. Uh, it, it's kind of comical. My son is in kindergarten. And the school district in which we live is not predominantly white. It is white. Mm. And there was one kid in his kindergarten class who was African-American. and. Uh, the problem with my son and this boy is that my son wore Buffalo Sabres clothes to, to school. And this young man was a passionate Penguins fan. Mm -hmm. So in kindergarten, Andrew had worn a Sabres t-shirt and, and this kid came up to him on the playground and shoved him. Like shoved into the ground, it was like saber suck, all this kind of stuff, right? So we're sitting at the dinner table and we're talking about this, and my son, five years old, six years old, says, "Daddy, are all dark-skinned people like that?" Mm -hmm. And like we stopped dead in our tracks, mm -hmm. right? Like because because it wasn't like what really came to me was that's because that's the only kid he knows. Yeah. That's because, right? So, I mean, he's six years old. I would say that we raise our kids to be non-racist, um, non-racist, to be very clear yep. what I said. But immediately we were like, no, like, right? But like, like so quickly, because there was a lack of familiarity, assumptions were made, right? So I don't, like he had never heard in our house anything like black people were violent or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Just a lack of familiarity made him be like, what about them? Yes. 
where I have really had some unique opportunities uh, was when I was leading mission trips. And we worked a lot of summers with the Pittsburgh Project. I loved working with the Pittsburgh Project for a lot of reasons. I loved taking suburban white kids into their own city and showing them what their own city looked like. And I'll never forget, it was Sunday night, we loaded up in the van, we drove to our uh, house where we were gonna be working, we made the right hand turn onto the street, and a funeral had just gotten out. And I had a, a, a van full of a dozen middle school kids, and that's not a quiet place to be. And we made that right hand turn, and they saw this huge crowd of black people on the street, and the van went silent. So driving down the van, driving down the van. And what I will say is that I've been going to the Pittsburgh Project for years, and my familiarity and awareness had gone up, mm -hmm. and I knew exactly what I was going to do. And I hear this voice, Brad, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I realized, like, I had a moment right there where I, where I decided. Now, I already knew what I was going to do. And I pulled up, and of course, not surprisingly, like, the crowd didn't move. Mm. Right? The crowd didn't move. I slowed down rolled down my window, and I don't remember our homeowner's name, but I reached out to the guy and said, hey, my name's Brian, we're here with the Pittsburgh Project, we're looking for Miss so-and-so's house, we're gonna help her out this week. Mm -hmm. And the guy said, oh yeah, she's right down, you got about another block to go. Hey, we're really glad you guys are here, she's a great lady, you're gonna have a great week. Mm -hmm. Rolled the window, right? But so, and it sounds so minor, right? But there is probably, if I'm honest, a time where I am nervous mm -hmm. headed down that street. Sure. Right? Sure. In that moment, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And um, thought, you know, thought I had it well. Okay, so we get to the homeowner's house. And as we're leaving, I say, what, what was going through your mind when you said, Brian, what are you going to do? And... And at that point, that's when the conversation starts that helps them realize like it was a lack of familiarity. Yeah. It was a, there's a crowd of black people on a street, what's gonna happen to us? A van full of white people, mm -hmm. right? Like it was so much of a familiarity, but, but helping kids realize that about themselves, right? That realize because of the product, because they're a product of where they're growing up, they have a lack of familiarity and therefore a lack of comfort. And that's gonna put implicit bias and put implicit racism right into them and they don't even realize it, right? And I say they, I would say, I didn't even realize it yeah. growing up because yeah. I grew up very, very similar. Um, but situations like that, where you have a real life scenario, where you can really then talk about it, mm -hmm. um, like those are the situations that I found far more rewarding mm -hmm. and far more valuable than, than, like, than, than just trying to argue with somebody in a one-off and just say, you know, instead, here's the situation, here's what happened. Let's talk about what was going through your mind. Sure, sure. It's so, also, if I can just say this, yeah. it's way easier to talk about racism with teenagers. That's so true. That like, is so true. Like, I think part of what I loved about doing youth ministry was just I found it so much easier to talk to, talk to kids about a lot of these things. Yeah. But, that was, but that was one of the, one of the instances where like, like it was so much easier to have that conversation with teenagers than it was with anyone else. So to, I'll, I'll do one uh, situation that happened to me actually at, at church, at a, at a safe space, supposedly. Um, um, so it was 
during, uh, uh, I won't give t too many detail details because we are inundated with a lot. So I would simply say it was dur during another shooting of an unarmed person of color. Uh, in this situation, uh, the person of color had certain attire on. Uh, and uh, specifically, uh, a young man had a hoodie on. And so I am part of session at my church. So it, it, it was one of those evenings when it was just cool enough just to wear a sweatshirt, but not too cold to wear a jacket, right? So I have a hoodie on. And my hood is up because I have to walk from my car into the church. And as you notice, I'm politically challenged, right? So I walk in, I sit down, we have some casual conversation in, in the conference room. And one of the members of session says to me, hey, you probably should be careful about wearing a sweatshirt with your hood up when you walk in here, because you never know. Now, Brian, he probably thought that he was being helpful, probably. Did but, you think he's been helpful or did you think he's been funny? Oh, I thought he, I think he thought he was being helpful. Okay. And I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you why when I, was, when I finished the story. So I immediately said to this gentleman, are you, are you sure you, you want to say that to me? Yeah. The blessing was my pastor was there and he was the one who said to this gentleman, you know, that's, that's inappropriate because he can see my level of anger yeah. rising. Yeah. Uh, that's inappropriate. I think you needed to apologize to Ralph and all those things happened. When the gentleman did, he thought he was being helpful. So it's not, as you say, it's not over the top, but that is a, a, just that, a little glimpse of how we can lean into this non-racist mm -hmm. void of, okay, I'm not a racist and I'm gonna even try to help in this fashion that he thought he was gonna help me, right? So, Brian, we talked, you talked about the non-racist void. I gave a small example of just one little example of my experience uh, of, of, of people talking to me in that fashion. We are talking to this audience about what to do next in their stuck yeah. in their stuck frozenness. So that leads us into the anti-racist mm -hmm. term. And the reason earlier why I said you, you're either a racist or anti-racist is because I believe, and this is just me, and Ryan, I'll ask you your opinion on that we can fall in and out of racist and anti-racist by the minute in some instances. I hope and pray that that starts to lean to anti-racist for days at a time, racist for a minute or two, anti-racist for days at a time. But Brian, that takes work, yeah. it takes education, yeah. right? So it's important to note, and I'm gonna ask Brian in a moment what his thoughts are, that we can embody racist and anti-racist within minutes of each other. And it's only until we can make the decision 
to educate ourselves, as Brian said earlier and as I said earlier, to continually become more and more anti-racist, do we become unfrozen and unstuck and have the ability to be in action and do actionable things to help us to be anti-racist? So Brian, I'm curious about your thoughts about this, this dynamic of racist and anti-racist, because we've already talked about how the explosive yeah. the R word is to begin yeah. with. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure the idea of our listeners and our audience hearing the word racist and acknowledging that it's already hard, but on top of that, that they can go in and out of that between a minute is probably a, a, a lot. So I'm curious to hear what you. So I, so I think part of it is that um, if, if you're someone who owns this idea of racist as an identity that you either are or aren't, mm -hmm. this language is like a non-starter, yeah. right? It's just perplexing. So it might actually be helpful to explain an example of how this actually plays out, mm -hmm. right? So um, you might, as a white person, have a keen understanding that there are certain schools that do not perform as well. And one of the key issues that with this clear racial disparity is as it relates to school funding. Right? And you may be fully aware of that, you may be able to talk about that eloquently and say, well, you know, part of the problem is we fund our schools based on property taxes, and we can go back to why certain properties are worth more and how they impact school funding, and, 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 and the racist history of that is undeniable, and you're fully aware of that. And then in the next sentence, you can say, but you know what? There's something true about you kind of get what you have coming to you. Mm. Mm. Just in that moment. Just in that moment. So on the one hand, you can eloquently talk about it. And then there are certain... Anti-racist. Anti Anti-racist. And there are certain instances in life where sometimes you do have what's coming to you. Mm. But there's a whole lot of instances where that doesn't necessarily hold up equally. That's right. Right? So, for example, you and I both know that um, low-level drug offenses, mm. who you are and where you get busted is going to have a lot to do with how that is handled. Mm. Right? That's right. So it's not... It's not you know, like person A gets busted with weed and person B gets busted with weed, depending on who they are, where they get busted, and how much money the family has, yes. is going to dramatically impact how they work their way through the judicial system. That's right. And if you don't understand that, right, you can harbor this, like, uh, the, this assumption or bias on the one hand, mm -hmm. and yet totally also understand the issue of schooling. Of schooling, yeah. Right? So, um, part of what I think is so important for people to realize is that I think where it starts, the action piece, mm -hmm. is not in trying to get defensive. It's not even necessarily like finding the closest person of color and being like, am I racist? Right. I think it starts with education. It starts with, with, with learning more and being open to the process. Yeah. Um, when I was in seminary, I read Martin and Malcolm in America, America. Mm -hmm. fabulous book, mm -hmm. right? The Cross and the Lynching Tree, fabulous mm -hmm. reading. That if you go into them with a defensive posture of saying, I'm not racist, you're not gonna get anything out of those books. That's right, that's right. right? You're gonna be constantly excusing yourself. But if you go into it and say, okay, th this is an education, I just need to learn more. That's, I think, a great first step for people. And with the prevalence of Netflix and movies like 13th, uh, Just Mercy, um, 
the, the host of books that have been published, I think there's a lot that people can do to educate, right? Mm -hmm. like, like the answer is education. That's how you uncover what you don't know mm -hmm. as you learn. Yeah. So, so just to, to understand what you're saying out loud is we can be racist and anti-racist at the same time, even minute by minute, yeah. right? And the, the Christian response to this racist and anti-racist dynamic in our lives yeah. is to a continual progression to a consistency in anti-racist. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm a racist, but I try very hard to be an anti-racist every day. So it can start out by minute by minute, racist, anti-racist. Because let's be clear, there's, there's no room for non-racist here. No. There's no room for non-racist, mm -hmm. Brian, right? It's the comfort zone. It's the comfort zone, it's neutrality. But that's the problem. That's the problem, yep. right? Yep. So you can start out at 2.30 as a racist and 2.34 as an anti-racist, I want to be or two thirty-one. Yep. I want to be clear here, but the Christian response, which I believe, Brian, and I'm, I'm going to ask you this question because I always want to put you in a spot because that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. This freeing concept, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. of I can be racist in one minute and anti-racist in the next, and the Christian response, which again is freeing, is. I need to be working toward being anti-racist more minutes than I'm racist. I, I believe that's the Christian response, yeah. Brian, and I think that's what we need to yeah. draw out of our audience. Yeah, and I think part of it is, is so, um, one of the things that, that I noticed a lot over the weekend is a lot of my kind of evangelical friends, mm -hmm. both Presbyterian and not, um, speak about racism as a spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. Right, it's a matter of the heart. And uh, to be completely honest, I don't think that's wrong. Because mm. uh, it's a I don't think changing wrong, of the heart. Right? It is. Yeah. Um, but, but I also think that there's a danger in it that we know, historically, there are a whole lot of people who love Jesus, who went to church, and owned a lot of slaves. Right? So, so conversion into faith is not a cure for racism. That's right. But the example of Peter, I think, is really helpful, right? So Peter was not a disciple who needed his heart changed, right? He was the exuberant one. He did some questionable things, jumped, and jumped out of a boat and that kind of stuff. But clearly, he trusted Jesus, right? His, his heart, is in our language, he was committed, right? He had committed his life to Jesus. And yet, when it came to Gentiles, he had some concern. And keep in mind, he was probably amongst those who saw Jesus with the woman at the well. So he had seen this embodied by his rabbi and his teacher. And yet still, when it came to him, he was like, whoa. Right? And it took a dream, and it took Cornelius, and it took those things. And even we find out later, he still struggled he with still it. Struggled it didn't end. It. That's right? right. Suddenly, so he's committed to Jesus, he has this breakthrough experience, mm -hmm. and then later on, Paul's given him a hard time about okay. how later he backed away. That's right. Right? And I think that's such a perfect example and hopefully an encouragement to people to be like, look, you're not going to get it right all the time. I definitely still don't. Mm -hmm. I have said stuff in public. I've said stuff today mm -hmm. that will rub people the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And that probably implicitly 
illustrate my own continued racist bias, prejudice, and assumptions, right? Um, but you're not gonna get it right the first time, and that's okay. Peter didn't, but it's the recognition yes. that's so critical. The impetus is we're called to love God and love others. And if I'm gonna do that, if I'm gonna love God and love others, I need to understand what my brothers and sisters in Christ who are not white experience. Who we are called to reconcile, right? reconcile with. And pursue the reconciliation both individually, That's right. how they've been harmed, and on a much bigger scale to say, like, we're, like we have a, this broad ministry of reconciliation that we're called to carry out. But you can't do that if you don't know. That's right. Right? That's right. And so the thing that I would, would, would kind of end on, at least on this point, is like, the truth will set you free. Mm. And the more people learn and know, the more you become aware of this one, the less threatening it becomes. The hardest lessons about racial bias in my own life that I had to learn were the first ones. Now I'm kind of at the point, and I don't mean to be flippant, but, oh shoot, there's another one, right? It's like now it's just, like now I'm just learning. And you know, I went home last week and was talking to, uh, to my wife, and for life, I can't remember what it, oh, it was the, you told the story about um, people wondering if all four of your boys yes. had the same mother. Had the same right? mother. You had yeah. not shared that. And same, was wondering if, for Kelly, all the four boys had the same yeah. father. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Like, like, you had not shared that with me before. I had not. And in the moment, I was like, never thought of that one, yeah. right? Never thought of that. Now, it's not something that I thought, mm -hmm. right? It's, I mean, I never had that thought, mm -hmm. but maybe I would in a different scenario if mm -hmm. I didn't know you as well. Um, mm -hmm. And that was a really easy example for me to come home and be like, man, I never even thought about having that thrust on you. Yeah. Of like societal expectations and like stereotypes yeah. of African-American men. Yeah. Um, but, but truly, those first few lessons I think are the hardest to learn. Yes. And once you kind of get beyond it and realize like, and I don't mean to like soothe white fragility here, right? When you realize that you're not a bad person, what makes you a bad person is if you're not willing to face the truth. That's right. Right? That's where I think we get into this. Like, the fact that you harbor these things, yeah, guess what? Join the club. Join the club. That's Join right. the club. That's right. But if you're not willing to work on it, that's where I go, well, but why not? Yeah. Right? But why yeah. not? Because I think you said it earlier, it's easy for us, for, for I'm going to say us, because I think it's important for, um, to, to note that racism, racists and anti-racists is a global thing. Right, it's, 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 a, it's a global thing, it's for, for all of God's creation, right? So I say us, but for white people specifically, it is this sense of non-racist is comfort. It's good and I'm, I'm good there, you know? But I think the most important part that I think we wanna get out here is it's not when it comes to the call of, of a Christian. Um, if, we, if your heart is changed, then our actions should be anti-racist. Yes, absolutely. Right? 100%. And you know, in, in the practical sense, what that means for us is, you know, well, policies don't promote equity mm -hmm. for all our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? What, what decisions, what language, all those things need to be coming to us minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, as we lean into being an anti-racist, and that's what that means, right? Instead of just this neutrality of, well, I don't believe that my race is superior, so I'm good. I'm, good. I'm not a racist, I'm good. and I don't, 
fall in the racism category and I don't even see it. So, which is really, really, really important. Yeah. Before we leave, yeah. at some point, mm -hmm. not today, we're gonna to need to talk about, about reverse, reverse racism. Yeah. Because that is something that probably for some of you listening, you have in your mind said, yeah, but what about reverse racism? That's real too. Um, and that's a whole different conversation. It is. It is a whole different conversation. Uh, but I think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention absolutely. that some of you probably had that reaction. And that's something that we will pick up at a future point, is, is just the phrase reverse racism, that's enough. That's enough. Because uh, there's a lot there about definitions and the way you think, and structural matters and that kind of stuff. But, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say, we know some of you had the reaction, what about reverse racism? Mm -hmm. We'll get there. Yeah. Thank you for answering the questions. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Look forward to the next conversation. All right. All right.